0: Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul pavet Hello everybody, this is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, just under an hour, and <laughs> we expect the time of arrival. Coming up on this flight, king-size bed seats, throne seats, configurable bench seats, new inventions in a well of reduced leg room, hot consolidation in the U.S. skies is my choice for the consumer, another smart luggage, one we might actually buy, a quite epic Emirates business class experience. Wow Air will fly you to Snapchat for them. Solar Impulse crosses the Pacific Ocean, the known story of a drone hitting a plane, Turn around, CEO of Malin, which served less than a year. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast and slow sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 39 to Moscow. Hi, Alex. Hi,
1: Paul. Moscow. I. You know what? I've never been to Russia. For shame. But I need to get yeah, that
0: That was my first time not long ago, so I said, why not? It's an interesting airport. We'll come to that at the end of the show. First, a very quick shout-out uh, to Solar Impulse. They, yes. They are, that's amazing, right? It really is amazing. They completed their flight across the Pacific Ocean. They landed in San Francisco, of all places. It was a few days ago, and that's pretty amazing.
1: Yeah, because so they had a uh, slightly longer layover in Hawaii than they uh, they anticipated because they had some technical issues. But just an extraordinary achievement that Bertrand Pico Card, who, let's not forget, was the first person to fly around the world in a hot air balloon. In hot air well. balloon, So yes.
0: he loves this kind of stuff. So just an extraordinary achievement. Congratulations to those guys. Yeah, it must be quite something, because it takes a long, long time to do that. It's not as if you take a commercial flight and you just go, you know, uh, I'm about to do that. I'm about to do Pacific again next week, and uh, it will take me quite a while, but not as long as, uh, as they've taken, because it's... Uh, 60 hours. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not first-class comfort, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. You don't have to. <laughs> towel that is being offered to you or something so yeah kudos to them whether or not we'll be able to fly in our lifetime in a commercial airplane which uses electricity i'm not sure but i certainly hope that this will lead to more scientific discoveries but as a human feat amazing yes how do you feel after uh you told us last time you passed your seven stages of grief how do you feel now (laughs)
1: <laughs> um I'm still a little melancholy about Virgin America but you know I, what's done is done. I still maintain that we haven't heard the end of this. I think there's going to be some interesting announcements. The deal is I'm sure going to go through. It's got me reading a lot more about airline consolidation and de- the deregulation process in the 70s because we're slowly moving back towards that with such a concentration of power in the US that uh you know I, I just kind of felt the right time to go back and read about how we got to where we are in the first place. But I'm really curious now to see what Alaska does with the Virgin America brand. They've come out and said publicly that they're struggling a little bit to figure it out, and they're really not sure how they're going to win over the Virgin America loyalists, which I I admire Alaska and their CEO for coming out and saying that they don't have the solution yet. I think it would be presumptuous of them to say that they did. So. I'm looking forward to hearing how they intend to do that over the next couple of months. The deal should be done by the end of the year
0: yeah there was a I saw that a tweet by uh, at uh, wonder me He read that the deal would have d o g approval by the end of the year. I mean that's expected doesn't yeah. mean that it will happen, but probably will happen. There was also a very interesting article about how the deal was constructed, how it happened. On the Financial Times, it's behind a paywall. So sorry, guys, if you don't have access to Financial Times, I think it's five articles for free per month. So I hope you get into that, uh, which which shows exactly what you're saying. It shows that the hope for Alaska is also to try to be a worthy competitor against the big four, so basically trying to break uh, amongst the consolidation of the U.S. markets. Is it wishful thinking? I don't know, but can they be a worthy competitor? Maybe.
1: Yeah, I I think they can. I think they can. I think this was a was a good strategic move for them setting aside the cost, because I know that's, that's kind of what people are talking about, but I think it's going to take them several years to get it all figured out and integrated. This is not going to be an overnight process, and nor is it going to be smooth. These things never are, but it still leaves the big unanswered question, the elephant in the room about of capacity in the US is controlled by four airlines. And again, Alaska is
0: not one of them. So I don't see how we're going to fix that or how that's going to get any better. Interestingly, in the article, since you're talking, as you mentioned the word overnight, They said that they are the approach virgin last year already. So it's not something that just happened very quickly. Apparently, it's something that's been brewing somehow. Alaska is trying to get out of its, you know, they have a stronghold, but that's a very localized stronghold and they did want to expand. They're going to become the second largest operator at San Francisco, actually, after the very big massive United, obviously, (laughs) but still.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that shows that this deal has really thrown them or the feedback from this deal has really thrown them. If they were thinking about this last year and they're now coming out and saying, saying, boy, we didn't expect this, um, we're not sure how to integrate it, then the blowback they've received from the traveling public and from Virgin America passengers, they didn't see coming. They didn't predict. And that's fine. That's no one's fault. It's just interesting that it's kind of thrown a, a, an additional layer of, of complexity into this already
0: complex deal. And by the way, although uh, Branson regretted the deal, it still sets to make a profit of about, according to the Financial Times, $465 million compared with the IPO Price, so that's not too bad, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: I I would not. And the only thing I would say to that is, don't believe everything. No, of course not.
0: I know, but I mean, it's still, (laughs) it's still interesting. Talking about constellations, since we're on that, you, you found a very interesting article on the New York Times about another startup airline that was trying to get off the ground. I mentioned that because, again, in that FT article, there's an analyst that says that basically this deal alaska virgin might be a one off it's not going to certainly spark wave or smaller airlines buying each other especially because of the amount of debt can you talk about that little yeah. airline, that uh, the article that you found? Because it's actually very, it's a good point in that consolidation market.
1: Yeah, so this airline or this concept airline, because it still really only exists on paper, has been floating around for years. And every time it pops up on airliners.net, they, they savage it as airliners.net users are wont to do. But there is a chap in California in the San Diego area called Ted Vallis. He's 95 nice. years old. He's wanted to start this airline called California Pacific Airlines, based out of a little airfield in the San Diego area called uh, McClellan Palomar. And he wants to basically pop up and down the West Coast into places like Vegas and Phoenix. uh, But he cannot get DOT and FAA approval or certification. They have, I think, one Embraer E-Jet. But the FAA has kept sort of rejecting their appeals, saying you don't have enough, you know, your, your ducks aren't in a row, essentially. The application is, quote, incomplete, inaccurate, and does not appear to have been reviewed for quality. This is surprisingly, unf- you know, this is something that I can sympathize with <laughs> completely, the bureaucracy of starting an airline. But I don't know how well-funded this airline is. I would be amazed if it ever gets off the ground, but I... S- absolutely and totally admire Mr. Vallis for attempting to start an airline in the US. As I said on the last show, it's getting harder and harder and harder to do that in the US and yet it's something that the country so desperately needs. And I think this is a really great example story of that
0: problem. Whether we'll see these guys in the air, I I, I just And don't when think you so. see the the hurdles that Sadly. an airline, a more established airline like Norwegian, is getting to just fly in and out in the US. It's just <laughs> means that regulation I, I get it, you know, it's it's a foreign airline, they don't want competition. It's the same story against the M E three, but still it shows that, you know, it's not very friendly towards newcomers, right? Like you said the barriers of entry have increased a lot now. And I don't think we're going to see a new airline yeah. anytime soon, which is too bad, actually. I, well, uh, yeah, it is too bad.
1: I mean, th- this article in the New York Times does a good job of pointing out the fact that if you're going to jump into to markets and routes that are heavily trafficked by the incumbents, you're asking for a world of pain. But there are, are actually good opportunities in small and mid-sized airports and routes. I don't think the West Coast of California is one of those because there's so much capacity on those. But... Within the Midwest and in southeastern United States, I think there's a lot of opportunity. And that can only be a good thing. So, you know, I hope there are more California Pacific Airways.
0: And I I hope that we see them in the sky sooner rather than later. And uh, I hope that someone comes up with a similar concept than Virgin America. Because, again, it was not only an airline, but it was a different type of airline. Proof is. I know it's a very small proof, but how the ground staff was having fun <laughs> with the the signs that there was a little story in the offington post have you have you seen that
1: yeah this is something that's happened since day one and i'm glad that somebody's i know that's what I'm yeah yeah. So, yeah so the one of the things that virgin america did well was the plasma screens that they have at the gate there's a section that can be customized with free text and the the teammates at the at the gate were encouraged to put in you know funny or timely or contextual messages that would get a smile and kind of reflect the brand differentiate and there's a chap who is a Virgin America employee who built a put an a, an album up on Imgur that with a collection of all the ones that he's done. And some of them are very funny. I, I encourage you to go and, and take a look.
0: Another thing that Virgin America has been doing, but sadly I haven't seen them in a while do, is they've been active on Snapchat. i have been following a lot of airlines on Snapchat to see what they do. Uh, Virgin America is pretty funny. The other one that is actually pretty funny is Wow Air, another newcomer, another competition in the US markets. They want to fly you to and from Europe and to and from the US via Iceland. We mentioned them in a few shows. If you are into Snapchat at all, they're actually currently running a competition and I'll put the link in the show notes it's snaptravelers.wowair.com where they are going to select four people that are active on Snapchat and they're going to give them the keys of the official Wow Air Snapchat account. They're going to send them in at various destinations where Wow Air is flying. They're going to ask these winners to basically document a journey. So if you not only want to do fun stuff on Snapchat, but also have flights for free and doing some stuff, you should actually... Fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a cool opportunity. I don't know how... It's very hard to get metrics out of Snapchat, meaning you you know basically how many people are following you and especially how many people are watching your stories. So I don't know how effective it is, but it's very quirky. I follow also the White House and and other accounts. Well, if you're into Snapchat, follow Virgin America Well, they're still around because they're doing fun stuff. (laughs) Uh, And and follow Wow Air as well. And I'll put the link in the show notes if you're interested to participate in such a thing, because why not? It's fun. Uh, we talked in the last episode a lot about Virgin America and then of course uh, we also mentioned the proposed regulation to prevent airlines from further reducing legroom in the. US skies. I said at some point in the episode that our discussion was set off Kendall from flyerrights.org, and obviously it did. I think I, re- I received our email <laughs> a half an hour after our show was on the air. I'm not going to read the entire email because we had a very good conversation between her and me. We'll try to get her on the show. Uh, it's always hard, and I want to apologize for the people are listening to us. We keep saying we're going to have people in, as guests, but since both Alex and myself are traveling a lot, it's always... Like we set uh, the timing for the show like a bit on the fly. Oh, can you tomorrow? Let's do it tomorrow. So, of course, when we want to have a guest, it's a bit more difficult. So I apologize for that. But we'll get guests and especially Kendall. So Kendall is telling us if you think first he believes that we only fly premium so Kendall as I told you in email no we actually do not only fly premium I w- I'm more guilty of that than Alex probably I do fly more premium which means more business class travels than uh, Alex uh, so no we are also we understand the pain of being in the back I'm actually 6'5 196 centimeters well, of course we're sometimes probably also smart travelers not smarter than others but we know tools like Seed guru, so we're able to you know get the right seats. As I mentioned the story of me being in Icelandair and finding that seat with extra leg room that nobody would take because I was going on Guru and I was going on the checking window just 24 hours before. So. Yeah, we, we get it. She told us, guys, you know, there's a lot of lobbying. She provided some links as well to tell us that, look, there are very bad relationships between some lobbyists, the airlines. So, and she's not talking conspiracy theory here. I think she has a point, And her point is that the lobbying money is actually preventing this type of regulation to pass. The one point that she made, and that we actually both made, Alex and myself, I think it was more than 10 episodes ago about that legroom thing, is that in case of an evacuation, a plane needs to be evacuated. I think it's 90 seconds. And those tests, those approvals for the aircraft were done under a different set of reality, meaning that the legroom was bigger. Would people be able to leave the aircraft if everybody is cramped at a 16 inch width and 26 legroom? Leg I'm not sure. What do you think, Alex?
1: I don't know how I feel, to be entirely honest about it. I think the evacuation thing is absolutely critical. And that should be tested yeah it should be tested it also approved, it should also yeah. be the the kind of the litmus test the, the priority right and I actually I think that passenger health uh, not necessarily comfort because that's a lot more subjective you know what's comfortable to me is is yeah. maybe not comfortable to you well it isn't because you're four inches taller than me um, so what I can endure for 12 hours you probably can't but if there's you know we get to a point where Passenger health is at risk. We're seeing a quantifiable increase in DVT and things like that. We have to keep an eye on this. And I think that organizations like Flyers Rights and, and others are doing important work by making sure that we are having these conversations. We are keeping an eye on these types of things. I don't know what the correct regulatory body is to ensure that this happens. Is it IATA? Is it Congress? No. I don't think it's Congress. I don't think Congress could regulate their way out of a paper bag, but I do think it needs some kind of intervention before it gets out of hand. It already is out of hand in some instances, but... I don't know what the regulatory framework is. And
0: and probably it's true that coming back to your point about the consolidation of the US market, the fact that United, Delta, Americans, and Southwest have almost 85% of the market in the US means that they will lobby hard. I used to be a lobbyist for those who don't know, right? In Europe, it's a very different mindset probably as the US Congress type of lobbyist, but I used to be a lobbyist. And uh, I believe that lobbyism is a reality. It should be regulated, more heavily regulated than it is now. But if you want action, if you want fast action, probably Alex is right, probably IATA or bodies that are above it will actually have a better impact than the Congress. Or
1: even the DOT. I mean, I I don't even know if that would fall under their jurisdiction, but they are a cabinet department in the U.S. But I also don't think this is necessarily something that the U.S. is and should be responsible for. That's why I think Ayata, which I know is a is a kind of recommendations board, it's not like a, yeah. a, a lawmaking organization, but I just don't Think that that or we're probably there yet. probably like you said probably
0: like you said maybe the type of regulation that should be pushed is not talking about the sit pitch because like you said it goes into that all sense of comfort which I get again, the vast, 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 vast majority of people fly coach, right? We have a tendency sometimes to talk about our experiences in premium because they're more memorable by definition. And we talk about them in this show. We want to reassure our listeners we do travel in coach, we do travel low cost, but maybe the angle of attack should be that evacuation thing to say, you know what, if you want to have your approval of having A 23-inch pitch on the seat, then prove us first that you can evacuate with that. Maybe that's not even on the airline. Maybe it could be the seat manufacturers. I don't know. Honestly, I'm not a specialist enough. Let's say in an ideal world, something that she presented, I mean, the organization presented would get approved. In the reality, because probably of lobbying money and other factors, it won't. So maybe it has to be found another angle. I don't I don't want her to give her candle. I know you're listening to us. I don't want you to give advice because you know your job much better than, than we do. I think I think it comes for me it comes down to this. It's it's what are
1: we regulating specifically? Is it seat pitch and is that is that the metric by which all comfort can be measured and, and passenger health and evacuation? If so, great. I just, I just don't think it is. I think there are other attributes that are important is it is it you know passengers per square foot or you know what i mean um and then the second one is when we are all comfortable with what we're measuring against who is then responsible for doing it like i just think about the yeah. smoking ban which in my opinion happened way too late we should have been doing it decades and decades ago the fact that we yeah, were remember, yeah
0: remember as a kid <laughs> tin yeah, yeah.
1: cans full of oxygen is staggering but that was a, a really interesting conversation as well, because it was the FAA, the DOT, the Civil Aeronautics Board, just in the United States. So there were three organizations who had to, to get involved. So it's re- going to be a really interesting journey to yes. see where we I end up absolutely, with
0: this. Uh, I absolutely agree. We are here and they show more often than not pro passengers because we always talked, I mean our position with the me3 our position about being pro competition is all about that yeah but pro
1: competition pro passenger absolutely
0: always it's true that this whole pitch thing is becoming a big part of the debate when I was invited by Airbus for the reveal of airspace their new cabin branding if you want I remember a journalist or even two asked them about the uh you know because they were promoting the the number of seat per row and the seat pitch and they said yeah but at the end, the journalist said the airline will choose and the airline could choose to actually have more seats per row. And, and that's true. At the end of the day, the lesser and or the airline is responsible. But Kendall, please keep challenging us on this because I think what you're doing and the organization doing is actually valid. We need bodies to protect the public, to protect the consumers. With flyerrights.org, Kendall can be found on Twitter at at Kendall Flyers. I'll put both links on the show notes. By the way, guys, I'm being slightly late these days to put the show notes on. I prioritize the actual show or the show notes. Please forgive me for that. I'm traveling a lot, which means I sometimes don't have the time. So we'll invite Kendall. Now, the irony in this, and obviously because yeah, we just <laughs> talked about you know coach seats, you finally... Finally, 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 you ended up flying Emirates for a very, very, very long trip, many, many legs. You're going to tell us about it on Jay, so on business class. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Holy crap. Yeah, because <laughs> it, <laughs> it seems to be, I mean, holy crap. There's two holy craps here. The first one is the product and then is your story because that was augmented by some, I don't know, events. Let's yeah. put it that way. Well, they were probably outside of the control of Emirates, but still, so go on. Yeah, I mean... It,
1: So let's start with Emirates Business Class. What an incredible product. Just amazing. I can see why you're so loyal to them and why you rave about them. I mean, I flew on the A380 for three of the four legs and the 777 on the other. The A380 Business Class product is just incredible. The seat itself is so – it's comfortable. It's big. It's very private. The screen is bigger than my TV. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, it's got all the great little amenities and and you know pockets and just everything you would you would want and you feel like you're getting extraordinarily good value. The food was incredible. The service, the people were all exemplary. In flight, just an outstanding product. And of course, Dubai Airport, the the Emirates facilities there are mind blowing. I, I sent Paul a message when I got there to the lounge. Mm-hmm. This isn't a lounge. This is an entire terminal, and it really is like so. Imagine, <laughs> yes, yes. imagine um, a series of gates, like a pier of gates, gates one through twenty. You're talking about a long, hundred meter long, at least, maybe even two hundred meters long. Then you add another floor to that on top of it, another story, and that entire thing is a lounge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it fe- like they, they've done it so sensibly, where it's like almost little rooms as opposed to one huge
0: cavernous lounge. It's like these rooms that you can go into. So you were in Concourse A, which is a newest concourse for right. Emirates. These lounges, so they're stacked in floors. It's an entire floor is the business lounge. Then on top, you have another, no, I think it's below, you have an entire floor, which is the first class lounge. And basically, all the A gates are accessible directly through the lounge. You take an elevator and you get into the plane. This feels more like like private, if that's the term you yeah. use. The lounge at Concourse B is also staggeringly big, but it probably has a feeling of being this big, huge lounge because mm-hmm. it has this kind of open space feel to it. Yeah, so, and so you, those are so people know what to expect.
1: And you, definitely. you know, and I, I, you gave me some great advice, saying you know if you can get over to Concourse A, and luckily my flight from Dubai to Singapore was out of Concourse A, so I got to enjoy that lounge. But yeah, just just an amazing product. Even the triple seven product, which was much older well, relatively, was still very, very good. I was really, really impressed. I mean, there were a few glitches with the staff on the ground. They weren't nearly as sort of customer
0: friendly as the folks in the sky. But I think that's due to the fact because I've sensed a difference. I started flying Emirates in 2010, and I've been flying them since, not like so regularly that I take them every month, but I've had a good experience with them. And You could feel that the airline grew so fast adding so more capacity more cities yes dxb seems almost at capacity feels i mean when you're in the lounge you're fine obviously but when you're not in the lounge it feels like cramp with people yes so and i I guess the probably the quality went slightly down on the ground since then i will admit that it's still very good right because if you ever fly any other airline you're not going to say emirates is bad but it's true probably that they've grown so fast that they have these growing pains that are still very visible.
1: Yeah, and and again, that was such a small thing compared to the rest of the experience. I was really... so So for context, last week I did... San Francisco, Heathrow, Frankfurt, <laughs> Dubai, Singapore, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Dubai, Frankfurt, London. That's 20, what? That's 20, 22, mi- 22 miles? 22,220 miles.
0: <laughs> in how many uh, days? Six days. I think you've bitten me because I think I've done, halal done. I, I think I've done more miles with more cities, but I was in more days, probably 10 days. Or I've done more miles in the same amount of days that was last January, but less cities. So yeah, you, you have the crown. I'm, so, I'm well, I mean,
1: I would certainly River not King. recommend anybody try and do that. Those legs were on BA and obviously Emirates. I did a leg on Singapore Airlines, uh, A380 from Singapore to Hong Kong in premium economy, which I have How to say, that? it was underwhelming. Oh, wow. Um, do you think it's because you just had flown Emirates? No. <laughs> Actually, that's a good question. I thought that the, the physical product was fine. It's nowhere near as good as Cathay's seat, um, just in terms of okay. pure comfort. The IFE was great. The food was Utterly inedible. Oh, wow. That's yeah, compared surprising. To, yeah. Com- I mean, Cathay's was 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 great. It's, it was even worse than BA's economy. It was oh, wow. just disgusting. That's bad. And the service was lousy. But, you know, it was a two and a half hour flight. It was fun to yeah, be I'll in, in a 380. And then I did Dragon Air from Hong Kong <laughs> to Shanghai. <laughs> and that's where, this is when I was coming home. This, this is where it all started to go I, wrong. Uh, just
0: just <laughs> one question before, it was very good right. Was it your first time in an A380 that was non-Emirates? Or? No, because I, I flew B- a, A380,
1: ah, A380 from A380. San Francisco to London, which was excellent. In economy, was excellent. Really, no, because really uh, good. For me,
0: I only flown A380s in Emirates. I'm going to fly for the first time a non-Emirates A380 tomorrow with uh, Thai Airways. Oh, so I'm excited to hear about that. To, uh, yeah. And no, really. then another one with Arsiana, but I'll get there to the next show. So I'm pleased that you say that, because I don't want people to feel that I'm this kind of pro-Emirates guy at all costs. The the product is actually solid, but then. Wow, yeah, it really is. Nothing against Emirates, because it was probably not their fault, but then all hell broke loose for you, so just tell us the story. Yeah, so (laughs) none of it,
1: I should, I hasten to add, None of it was Emirates' fault. Um, I flew from Hong Kong to Shanghai on Dragonair and checked at the gate. And there was the uh-uh noise when they scanned my boarding pass. <laughs> and I was upgraded, which is great. Oh, yeah. remember Nice. Yeah, yes. Dragonair A330. sit down in this really nice new seat. Um looks comfortable. And so it was uh, business, not premium. Eco, business, right? yeah. They just have a, nice. they have a two-class system. The service was, was great. But we, we sat on the ground and sat on the ground and sat on the ground. And the captain comes on and says, hey, there's a, there's a problem with the fuel flow computer. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. And you're like, OK, fine. We kind of need that. You take as long as you want to figure that out. And so they were re- replacing it. And then they came back about 45 minutes later and said, yeah, that didn't work. So we need to power down the entire airplane for five minutes to get it to reset. So the entire plane goes dark except for the emergency exit light. So pitch black for five minutes. Then it comes back on 20 minutes later. Yeah, that didn't work. We're going to have to change airplanes. (laughs) <laughs> so, so they, you know, we all get off the airplane, and you know, I, 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 I was messaging Paul throughout this entire thing. I was never upset or mad or pit, you know, not once, because it's safety, you know. They sh- yeah, they take as long as you want to fix these problems. It, I don't care if it was if it was some other thing. I don't, you know, whatever. I would have been mad, but anyway, I had lounge access because I'm a I'm a One World whatever Sapphire member, so. I went to Cathay's excellent lounge in that far end of CLK. We got back on the airplane, flew to Shanghai. Where, and I, I booked a hotel to stay at Shanghai that night.
0: But where, Just a question, because I didn't know. Were you upgraded on that replacement flight as well, or did you get your coach seat? Great question. Yes, the seat
1: map was maintained. Oh, nice. Okay. So there was no problem there. And actually, they canceled the Cathay Shanghai flight and consolidated it with our flight. So a bunch of people got upgraded. I never got to use my hotel in Shanghai. I did get <laughs> to do the 144 hour visa free entry into China now.
0: Oh which yeah, which is
1: great, which means cuz you know visas into China are time consuming and incredibly expensive, but there are A handful of cities now in China, Shanghai is one of them, where if you have a passport from, I think it's like 21, maybe more than that, countries, you can go in without having a visa. And it was a seamless process. You have to have an ongoing ticket to a third country. So you can't go London, Shanghai, London. They won't let you do that. But if you're going, you know, like I was, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Dubai, no problem. You do it at the immigration desk. They check when you check in for your
0: flight when you leave Hong Kong, but it was a piece of cake. But hold on. You were supposed to to, to use that because you were supposed to be in a hotel, but since your flight was so delayed, did you even have time to step out of the airport? I
1: didn't. I I had to go landside because my flight was more than four hours away. So they made Ah, you go through immigration. I couldn't stay
0: landside or airside. Sorry. That happened to me once years ago when there was not this 144 hour visa thing. And I was uh, going from Singapore to Tokyo and I was routing via Shanghai. I think it was 2011. And I ended up having the same situation as you. Only that, for some reason, I passed through a door and then another door trying to look for the other flight and end up being outside of the airport without visa. I could have disappeared in China. Of course, I didn't do it. Yeah, that was, I was like, this is not supposed to happen because, you know, all the people in the flight, it was China Easter, were all Chinese. And I was just following them like, okay, I need to go somewhere, I guess. I went out of there and was like, wow, I'm in China without a visa. Anyway, go on with your story because it's that's still just, just, just barely the beginning.
1: <laughs> so... I booked my flight, obviously, and I booked the hotel because I wanted to sleep before my seven a.m. flight on Emirates to connect to Dubai and, and get home. Obviously, I had I forfeited my hotel, and that is what it is. Um, if you're interested, if they gave us three hundred Hong Kong dollars in cash. Oh, that's nice! For wow. For the delay, which is like twenty five British pounds, I was expecting. Yeah, it's you know, forty dollars. Yeah. yeah, nothing. I, you know. It was a nice gesture, handed an envelope with three $100 Hong Kong dollar bills in it. So I got on the Emirates. That's sex free money then. A free, yeah. (laughs) You know, I know. Again, it was a a safety issue, which I know that they are responsible for. It's not like an act of God, like weather or something, but whatever. So I boarded the 777-300, the Emirates. And sat down. It's a very, as I was telling Paul, it's a very strange configuration. It's the old configuration, yes. The old configuration. So, But it's still a very comfortable product. And we were all on board and the doors were closed. And then a poor lady, uh, an elderly lady, had a heart attack. Oh, wow.
0: Uh, you were on the, on the ground still?
1: We were on the ground. Thank goodness for all involved. We were still on the ground. We hadn't even pushed back. And so they had to get her off and her husband, you know, it was a very, obviously it's a scary moment for them. And I, from what I understand, she was fine because the captain told us after, well, not fine, but you know, she, she lived she didn't, she didn't die. Um, so that was two hours late and I had a connecting flight in Dubai. But again, it's one of those things like how could, you can't be mad. You're a dick if you're mad at something like that, you know? (laughs) So we take off. And then just south of Hong Kong, we hit turbulence for two and a half hours. And You know, I fly a lot. And I'm 36 years old. That was easily the worst turbulence I have ever experienced. Like, shit. we were like pitching and yawing and rolling. and, And the plane was groaning. And people were screaming. And stuff was flying everywhere. The captain was yelling at the flight attendants to strap in. And it lasted on and off for about two and a half hours. Honestly, I just kicked back, put the the downward facing camera on the screen, and just watched because <laughs> it was That's what cool I do, yeah. it to is. see the plane kind of like pitch and roll in relation to the ground.
0: You know what? When that it, happens, you get vaccinated. It happened to me once, and since then, I don't care anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. Like it it was clear air turbulence because I could see down. We weren't we were thousands of feet above any cloud. We were in a bad patch of air, so it wasn't that really brutal you know, cumulonimbus turbulence. It was just like on high seas turbulence. So you weren't having the massive drops or anything like that. Uh, And then, so I missed, I I thought I missed my connection and forgive me for the length of this tale, but we we get through that. Service is great. Product is great. Land in in Dubai three minutes after the flight to Frankfurt was supposed to leave. And I thought, okay. It's just, hold on. They
0: brought up medical. Oh yes, sorry. When
1: we landed in Dubai, there was ambulance paramedics,
0: yeah, waiting to proving meet that it was actually quite a big turbulence, so, so that yeah. the, our listeners obviously
1: get in. the injuries weren't enough for us to divert, but there were people who had been knocked around
0: a little bit. Always end wear end. your seatbelt, guys. Even if it's yes, if even the sign is just off, always, the point. always get. Anyway. Because
1: there were points where I think that the relatively the turbulence was pretty, you know, wasn't as bad as we had endured earlier in the flight. But I was like, man. I wouldn't want to be walking around in this. And people were, and that's the crazy thing. Even when the seatbelt sign was on and we were doing, going through the worst (laughs) of it, people were like, I just need to nip to the bathroom. I'm like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, get to Dubai. I clearly missed the departure of my flight. And they booked me on a flight 15 hours later. Oh, wow. And I was like, no, just can you please put me on a flight to London? And they're like, oh, no, no, we've held the Frankfurt flight for you. You you, and one other person. I was like,
0: okay. You held the <laughs> Man, you're such I a VIP. I just wanted to get home. You're such I a VIP. I just wanted
1: to get home to London. You're and, such um,
0: a VIP. <laughs> it happened to me only once in my life when I held a flight. Twice, but honestly. And once it was because it was uh, some very big, important CEO. I cannot mention his name with me. I was not with him, but we are just lucky to be on the same flight (laughs) and the other time was in Osaka where the Emirates flight so thank you Emirates waited for me a full hour a full hour because it was connecting with one ticket they bought me from Tokyo to Osaka they waited an hour that's amazing yeah I was like but you know what that was again 2011 I don't think they will do that again anymore so you got your flight then
1: yeah they put me on the Frankfurt flight and then that was delayed (laughs) 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 and on the flight are using Emirates' excellent, excellent in-flight Wi-Fi. One US dollar for 500 megabytes. Yeah, that's And when amazing. you're on your... It is, because on Singapore Airlines... It's it a was joke. Like, it was $6 for 15 megabytes. megabytes. Yeah. And
0: they say, oh, you can browse as much as you want. 15 megabytes? What the hell are you
1: talking about? No, <laughs> you sneeze and you've used 15 <laughs> exactly. megabytes. So anyway, I booked a flight, because I wasn't sure if they were going to put me on a London flight. So I hadn't booked how I was going to get from Frankfurt to London. So I booked... A Lufthansa flight that left in good time after our flight was supposed to land of course the flight was delayed and <laughs> I could we landed and we taxied in and I was like you know what the flight was literally supposed to be leaving in five minutes and there was no way I was going to get on but I got off the plane I was like you know what I miss my wife I miss my kids and I sprinted across Frankfurt airport went through security where they were of course very
0: thorough as always I've been
1: as always I thought of you as soon as I was doing it <laughs> and I get to the gate where the did you, flight did you was have leaving. to did
0: you have to go through the uh, the tunnel yes oh uh, yeah this one you get a straight tunnel for those who have never been it seems you're working forever you can run on that one and it seems yeah, like this never ends
1: <laughs> and so you go through security i get to the gate where the flight is and i'm like you know i'm gonna ask them to put me on the next flight which is about three hours later and they're boarding. oh wow and so I got on a beautiful, brand-new Lufthansa A321, which I forgot how big that airplane is. It is, actually, yeah. And I got home, and sorry for that long, long, <laughs> epic tale. But uh, <laughs> if you're going to take anything away from it, is that business class on Emirates is extraordinarily good on all fronts. It's easily the best I've ever experienced.
0: Oh, wow. That's a good endorsement coming from you, because you've experienced quite a few. You said it for you it's actually better than the BA business class, which I've never taken. So. Oh,
1: it's it's like night and day oh, wow. not even comparable Wow, wow
0: I, I hope so you probably will fly them again they're not as liberal as used to be in upgrades i'm still lucky to get some time-to-time upgrades uh, i mentioned the last show was upgraded i forgot to mention one thing i was upgrading in first class yeah guys okay you hate me now the new a380 it was in, uh, Alex spotted that it was only two months old. Emirates has on the ceiling uh, LEDs that create this kind of night sky. They've yeah. added the same on the ground. <laughs> so you also have stars, LEDs in the carpet below you oh, in first wow. class. So
1: it must feel kind of like you're yeah. floating it's, in space. It's,
0: it's amazing. Wow. Anyway, yeah, they just got a great product. I would, really I would never pay for first class because even if you are rich, because I think it's crazy, especially when you have such an amazing business class behind it. But yeah. anyway, from time to time, so I hope, uh, Alex, that you will be able once to be upgraded in first class. One, <laughs> of, one of the
1: things, speaking of first class, that was good about my Singapore Airlines flight is when we landed, I asked to see the suites. Oh, yeah. And they, they took me up to the front end of the airplane and sort of gave me the grand tour of these suites, which... Or like the size of a you know a Manhattan apartment, it was. They were really, really Im- imp- impressive. I don't know how much they, they cost, comparable to business class, but great job Singapore Airlines on at least the physical product.
0: There you go. That was a long story, but it was totally worth it. Yeah, sorry uh, no, guys, fine. you're
1: probably like, dude, shut <laughs> up. No, that was
0: fine. You know, we've we've got a lot of feedback from uh, our listeners, and some of them say, Paul, Alex, tell us more about your flying stories. are fun. Uh, so you know, here you go. You got like fifteen minutes of an Alex flying story. <laughs> with uh, some small interjections by May. And we, you've been still using as well TripIt to follow your trips?
1: Yeah, I, I tried a few of the others, but always seem to gravitate back towards TripIt. It just,
0: it works. Yeah, it works. I'm, I'm still using all of them because I, I bought, uh, you know, some monthly subscription to a few others. So I'm going to see how they pan out for a few more months. But it's true that I always tend to come back to TripIt. TripIt, for those interested, as upgraded... The design of the website is a bit strange because only a few pages have been upgraded. So you have this kind of very fresh, new kind of look and then you click on one of the tabs and you end up in the old. But I mean, they're going there. Uh, so if you use TripIt, it's always a good resource. Uh, and the network is interesting. I can know where Alex is best by looking at his TripIt. So still, sorry, Kendall, still on the very fancy seats that we will never get to fly, probably Alex and myself. There's a new type of first seat which is kind of a throne seat. So basically seats would be stacked one above the other. Not exactly stacked one above the other, but we have two. And in the small sections between the two normal seats, you'll have a bed above. I don't know how to best describe that.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting setup. And actually it looks like one of those ones that could actually be a thing. Yes, absolutely. Compared to to so many of these that we see where it's like, well, that's just never going to happen. But this one... It looks very pragmatic, I kind of like it. actually, how they show the seat turning into the bed is very similar to how Singapore Airlines suites are set up, where the bed is kind of, almost comes from above. Very neat. Is this reality or is this just an idea? No, I think
0: it's still a proposal. They've made that layout for the front of the cabin of the 777, you know, it's marketing. You want to try it out to see if there is any interest. That could see reality because it seems that it keeps the comfort that probably people in the front of the cabin expect whilst adding some more capacity in the cabin as well. Mm. So we we could actually see something like that. The other thing that would probably not happen is having, I'm just going to mention the title, the airplane cabin of the future may have king-size beds. Yeah, not in coach, guys. Uh, (laughs) Uh, and by the way, uh, the residents in uh, Etihad already has a king-size bed. I'm not sure that will ever happen because it seems to be reducing capacity in first more than augmenting it.
1: Yeah, and we've talked in the past about this trend towards de-emphasizing first and actually a yeah. lot of airlines rem- removing it completely. So if you're reducing the physical footprint and just having like like Etihad, a couple of, of residents or th- maybe four, this is an interesting idea. I mean, of course, it looks incredible. And it's actually, it's made for two people, right? Yeah. So you would have you have two seats in in takeoff and landing mode side by side like a- like almost like a couch,
0: and then it turns into to this king size bed. Back to the uh, cabin behind, or most people fly, even me and Alex, <laughs> a new pattern. So we always say in this show that patterns are what they are. They're patterns. This is like a bench basically. Instead of having a seat, you have a bench. So it could be more configurable. What do you think about that? It's a neat idea.
1: Again, like you said about patents, so many of them are just land grabs. But but you're right. It's basically a bench that could be configured to hold two people in like a regional business class, three people in standard economy, or a family. So you would have like two adults on the outside and they have the seatbelt fixtures for two smaller people in the middle I think you may actually see, we're already starting to see things like this, right? With Air New Zealand's economy bed seat. Oh, correct. Which yeah, kind right. of has like a an extension that comes out. And so they sell a row of three to two people. And there's a little flap that folds up that turns it in, into a bed. So you are seeing these kind of multifunction economy seats. And I think this is just an extension
0: of it. Of it. I, why not why not exactly still talking about inventions our favorite type of inventions: smart luggages <laughs> we always <laughs> have a, every week it seems there's a new one coming uh, so this one is on kickstarter it's called how do you pronounce that floaty floaty, floaty. Yeah. Uh, so this one has it looks nice to be honest it's very well put the design is nice it has a, a built-in scale it has a smart handle that actually notifies you I don't know what the hell but anyway it has uh, anti-loss basically something that tells tells you that your luggage is being stolen or it's far away from you if it's in the hold. It, it has one thing that I actually kind of like. It has suspensions on the wheels. So it's a four-wheeler. So when you are carrying around, and I know that some airports have not have very even floors that could actually ease your pain. But again, I'm not sure about this thing. Would you buy that? So they've already smashed through their target.
1: Yep. They wanted to raise 100,000 US. They've raised 400,000. If you showed me this luggage... You know, a picture of it, and said it, it's not smart or anything. It's very, very attractive. It is right, yeah. And it, you know, looking at some of the videos of the practical features, like how the your smaller hand piece of hand luggage can strap to the top of it in a really kind of secure way. It looks great. I wouldn't use it for
0: any of the other crap, but as a physical piece of luggage, it looks fantastic. And for fifty dollars more, if you buy it, you get that battery. The one thing that I like about this battery as opposed to all the other batteries that we've been hearing about since it's basically a battery that you can remove and take with you, and it not only charges your devices, iPads, iPhones, and Androids, but it also can charge your laptop, which is very rare. And I think it's smart not in smart language—but I think it's smart that it's an add-on, then you can just leave it there smart. or just take it with you. So if you if you wanna actually put in the hold, fine. If you don't wanna use it, you just don't pay the 50 quid or you just leave it at home. I think that's actually the best way of thinking about a smart luggage. The and, notification thing, whatever, I don't know, but this is actually a good way to think about
1: it. And they have a, a detachable electronics compartment as well, which is like a, yes. a sleeve for your, like imagine a like a laptop sleeve with a couple of pockets that sits inside the luggage, but you can also remove it. And it's it's really well done. So My message to people who are doing this type of thing is I will back great luggage products on Kickstarter until the cows come home. You don't have to fill it with bells and whistles and nonsense. Just make great luggage. Solve that problem because there's not a lot of of kind of mid-range, strong, sturdy, ergonomic luggage out there. I like this
0: one. I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but I, I like this one. You know, over time, insisting over smart luggages, show after show after show, you'll end up buying one. I've been
1: warned down. Like in, like in,
0: in 80 <laughs> episodes or something, because we'll probably see 80 more of these luggages coming up. Uh, we had a good feedback from uh, one of our listeners, David Verch. Uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounced your last name on our Facebook page. He's using LugLock. It's one of these devices. I mentioned one in the, in the last show, the Floaty Carry-On Head has this as well it's a device you put in your luggage and attracts your luggage if you want to know where it is, uh, it works with GSM as well. It tells me it works pretty well, as in it will ping you when it arrives at the bell, for instance. He's not sure exactly how it works. He put also a few pictures on the thread on Facebook. I'll put the link in the show notes because it's accessible even if you're not on Facebook or even if you don't like our page, which you should, by the way. Um, <laughs> the interesting bit is that it seems to be smart enough not to always you know, ping you. It only pings you at certain times. I'm not sure it's uh, because of geolocation and more because it's understanding when it moves and it doesn't move. David tells us that it's been actually proven pretty useful, and the app he puts a screenshot of the app is also pretty uh, well done. So, if you really are concerned about where your luggage is at all times, or at least if it's with you and actually with you in the plane, Luglock seems to be a good investment. I've almost never checked in so I would not buy it, but if I were I would consider it probably. And very cool
1: to have some actual feedback from a user as well instead of me mouthing off about how useless smart luggage and luggage trackers are. So, thanks for taking the time to to let us know that it's it's actually pretty
0: cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and one thing you mentioned the battery life is actually extremely well, which of, you could you should expect That's a, yeah. should expect from this, but obviously if it stops working after 2 hours, then you are completely screwed. A few shout outs I <laughs> want <laughs> to our friend Eric Hoffman, husband in tow. is has been again mentioning us in his latest podcast episode uh, with the, along yeah, thank with his you wife. For that. It's one about luxury travel. So again, Kendall, sorry because we, keep, we seemingly we keep talking about the front of the cabin today. Uh, it's a nice episode. You should listen to it. Thank you, Eric, for the mention. Marcus Vulture who's been a long-term listener, has told me that my edits, so the way I edit the show, you know, when we record Alex and me, I have usually between one hour and 15, one hour and 30 minutes of show, and I try to reduce it to like under an hour. It's true that I was a bit heavy-handed at the last episode. Apologies for that. It seems like very, very fast-paced, so I'll try to be a bit better. And he also <laughs> says, why do you guys stop at 60 minutes? It's because we had a lot of feedback of people wanting to listen for 60 minutes and no more. Marcus answers to that yeah but people do not know there's a pause button <laughs> but anyway sorry for those who thought that I was a bit heavy-handed in the addition I'll try to be better uh, I, I was also under a rush I really wanted that episode to go out I'll try to be a bit better for this one but please keep telling me if I don't edit in the good way because I'd like to become better at it.
1: And if you want to know, we use Zencaster as our our podcasting platform, and it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's uh,
0: absolutely phenomenal. I agree.
1: If this is what you, if you ever want to start a podcast and you have more more than, well, I'm probably just doing it yourself.
0: It's a very good piece of software. Yeah, And I use uh, Audition, Adobe Audition, to edit, though a tool like Audacity is uh, very, very well equipped to edit as well a few more shout outs we got two emails uh, that I want to mention first we got an email by Andrea Riley from uh, upgradedpoints.com which is a very good resource if you're into uh, getting your points frequent file miles all the hacks and stuff they've just released a new guide to ITA matrix. Yes, it's well this done,
1: right? Is so good. It is really Spar- well. Done. Oh, it's phenomenal! It's a complex piece of software, and this
0: is a really, really good guide. Very comprehensive guide. Great work, guys. And Anton uh, who is also a long-time listener. Thank you, because he's been scribbling notes while on the train, listening to the LCA episode. He said that the Airbus strategy of doing airspace, you know, the branding of the cabin is a double-edged sword because, and that comes back to the point we were making about Kendall's email earlier on. People will probably say, yeah, this is amazing, I'm on an A380, or I'm on an A320, or whichever, but if you end up being completely cramped, whichever aircraft you're in, you might actually go into negative mode. That's true. But then again, yeah, you know… That's they, a good point. That's a good point. But then again, I think still Airbus has to do something about it. Whether or not they're involved, people will complain anyway, so they're taking charge of it. But yeah, it's right. It's a double-edged sword. Social media is always a double-edged sword when you deal with the customers. Another first, another shout out to somebody called California Flying. It could have been you, Alex, using that. (laughs) No, I, I promise it wasn't me. Our first ever iTunes review, so thank you so much, five stars. Fast-paced review of airlines and travel from hosts that have good chemistry and good personal stories to share. Alex shared a very, very nice 15-minute story, so I hope, California Flying, that you're happy. Thank you for the iTunes review. Our first, yes. I'll drink some champagne or beer to that later today.
1: If you listen, please do us a huge favor and go on iTunes and, and review.
0: It would mean a lot to us. So, we still haven't bought a drone, neither Alex or myself, but in terms of of aviation, there's been stories about drones all the time, right? Very close calls to aircraft. We heard that in GFK. We heard that in London. And very recently, this was a story that apparently a drone not only was very close to an aircraft, but apparently hit a aircraft.
1: Yes, there was a plane and a BAA 320 landing at Heathrow, and the story came out last week that it had been hit by a drone. And I sent a message to you saying this was an inevitability, and things are now going to have to change, and yada, yada, yada. Well, it turns out that it it wasn't a drone at all. And there was no evidence to suggest that it was a drone and that it could have been a plastic bag. <laughs> <laughs> and so this story has gone from, I mean, let's not discount the threat of drones hitting airplanes it's still very very scary and i still think it's an inevitability but there <laughs> it doesn't look like it was a drone at all it looks like it was a plastic bag or something which you know if a plastic bag going into an engine on, uh, when a plane is on final could have equally devastating effects so it's not completely inert but it's not a drone either so It was interesting how that story went from sensational to,
0: oh, very quickly. (laughs) I wish that, you know, in the UK, for those who don't live here, now you have to pay to actually get a plastic bag when you do your groceries. It's 5p. So, I wish that I could buy a drone for 5p because that would be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was, though, a story because you say it's an inevitability. There was a near miss at Charles de Gaulle with an A320. I think a uh, drone came 16 feet close to uh, yeah, an aircraft. So, you know, it's like all these stories. People are either too scared or just don't care. And I think in the middle, we have to be careful about those. For those who own a drone and want to take great footage of airports, don't ruin it for the rest of us. We just want to have a little bit of fun, I think. So, please. Yeah. please no, absolutely. Yeah. Last story of the day, we talked last episode about the fact that the new boss of Ayata would be the current CEO of Air France KLM. We also said in the same episode that Christoph Müller was doing great things at Malaysian and suddenly these two stories crashed together. <laughs> Sorry for yeah. we using the word crash in an aviation podcast, but they collided. To create something new. So we were prescient. We we talk about stories and something, yeah, something we've, happened, right? <laughs> yeah. So this, I think, I don't think anybody predicted
1: this. Christoph Müller is stepping down as the CEO of Malaysian, only 30% into his contract. You know, he has to serve out a six-month period, but he's walking away citing personal reasons. I think it's less than a year into, into, into the role. This is really, really surprising. I think it's sad. There's no way he's been able to do all of the things that he wanted to do and, and needed to be done. Now, of course, the rumors start flying when someone says it's personal issues. Apparently, the flight attendant or air crew union, I can't remember which one, in Malaysia have said they thought this was an inevitability, that he would be really frustrated by the internal politics of the airline. And has left as a result. There was a rumor flying around that he is now going to take over KLM Air France. (laughs) I have seen nothing to support that rumor, but I like that rumor. I'm sure that he got frustrated with the politics and and table flipped and is leaving, which is a damn shame because he's got such a great track record of doing exactly what Malaysia needs to have done to it. So
0: I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more and see where he lands. Whoever gets him is very lucky. Yeah. Maybe then that we said that something else will happen because, again, we're you know we're telling you stories here on this show that always lead to some crazy outcome. So let's see what happens. But yeah, for me he has maybe it's some kind of myth, but he's really the guy that turns around airlines, and he could have turned around Malaysia. He actually started to. It's a bit of a shame that it seems to be stopping right in the middle. Yeah. I hope for Malaysian that they find someone that will follow these tracks and keep actually doing great things with that airline because they really need to and also worth being saved. I also, I think it's important to say if it is a
1: genuine personal reason, I hope everything is okay in his world um, and that it's not something
0: that uh, is significant enough for him to, to feel like he needs to leave. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. You're absolutely, absolutely right. So now to Moscow. So you've never been to Moscow?
1: I've never been, so I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah, it
0: was this. my first time. So there are actually two airports in Moscow. I flew to DME, Domodedovo International Airport. So it's Moscow, but it's still like not Moscow. It's actually 42 kilometers away from Moscow. So that's uh, 25 something miles. So that's not next door. It's an airport that feels that, you know, uh, Russia will organize the World Cup in 2018. And you can feel at the airport. It seems to be building and building and building up. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah, there's a part of the airport was already opened. The rest will open, I think, by 2017. They're going for a similar approach in Amsterdam, which is this kind of one big terminal, and you once you're in, you get anywhere you want, right? It's uh, I which I, I kind of enjoy not having to switch terminals and to change security and like you do in Frankfurt, for instance, some time to time. So it's a good idea, but it's still a work in progress. The one thing that is obviously striking uh, for those who go there is that once you arrive in the airport to leave Russia, there is two securities. So there's a first security before you get in. I will say that the security is a bit uh, not the best, the first one, because honestly, so many people were pushing. People were not removing their belts and stuff. They were beeping and still they would be let go. I, I did the same, you know, when I saw that, I said, you know what, no point for me to go all in all nine yards, remove every piece of metal out of me. But still, it's not something you expect. There had been an attack, if you remember, I think it was 2004 at that airport terror attacks. So there had been a bomb. So, probably that's the reason why now they screen you before you actually get into the terminal. The airport itself is actually. Uh, You know, I was not having high expectations because so many of my Russian friends, when I told them i fly there first, they say, why do you fly to that airport? It's too far. It's not the best one, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, I was these reduced expectations. actually quite enjoyed it. Arriving there was a breeze. Uh, You mentioned earlier in the show the fact that getting a visa for China can be a pain. Trust me, getting a visa for Russia is not also a very uh, easy process. It can be also a bit expensive. I've actually found the staff that were actually nice. People were telling me, you see the staff is not. They were actually nice. The whole luggage area needs improvement. So I'm thankful they augmented it. Yes, I had checked in luggage for once with me. So the, the only thing I will say about traveling there is that it's far. And the transportation links are basically almost non-existent. If you want to go to Moscow, you basically have to use a cab or a car hire. Oh, wow. The interesting bit for someone like you and me, and I had hinted at it when I talked about my travels that led me to go to Russia, I think it was two episodes ago. When you land, there is a cemetery for aircraft that, that oh, sits wow, at the cool. very, very end of one of the runways. You have Aleutians to Polyvs, so oh, very old amazing. aircraft. And you have 747s. I think I counted two. I need to look back at my pictures because I was, of course, with my camera, taking as many pictures as I could in some videos and stuff. It's like the Mojave Desert. Uh, of course, the Mojave Desert in the US is much, much bigger. Max Gervitz, our friends, told me that I don't think they have a proper aircraft cemetery in Russia, which is why they basically deposit them there. Uh, for people like us that love aircraft, it's fascinating. I almost wished, and I didn't ask, I don't know if it's possible. I'm sure it's not because of safety reasons. I would love to be able to go up close and go there and take pictures, yeah. and probably, but that would be amazing. So yeah, it's not the best airport I've ever been to. It's a work in progress, so I will reserve judgment. Is it a good airport to do layovers? To be very honest, I don't really think so. It seemed a bit crammed. There are many lounges, so if you have any of the cards that allow you to get into lounges, they actually okay. So I was into the general airport lounge, not one of these branded lounge bar airlines, and it was pretty good as well. Uh, there's free wi-fi so you could theoretically have a layover i'm not sure it's a good idea i know the city is far i fell in love with moscow only stayed 48 hours and need to get back so i would recommend to people if you ever have to do a layover there well you know you'd better uh, go to moscow it's it's worth it well I, i i've never been to russia so i am excited to head out there and you'll soon be able to go with an A380. Uh, I was surprised that Emirates would fly a 777. But I think, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, Anton, because you know that airport well, I think it still cannot accommodate the A380. To ah, A380. that's interesting. Yeah. So Anton, if you have any more stuff to say about DME, please do, because I'm really not an expert, but for plane spotters, just land there to get as much snaps as you can. They are, at least it seemed to me, on the left hand side when you land. On that, Alex, are you uh, flying soon again? I think. Yes, I am going to Sardinia next weekend. Oh, wow! Which will be a,
1: a first for me, yeah. So, and then a uh, few few local trips before back
0: to Asia. I'm doing that round the world trip. I'm flying to Macau via. So I'm doing London, Bangkok. On a 380, Bangkok, Hong Kong, on a 747-400, finally. Amazing. (laughs) Then I'm taking a ferry to Macao, then the ferry back to Hong Kong, Hong Kong in Xi'an, in Xi'an GFK with Asiana. I'm staying in New York two days, and then, haha, I'm going to try Norwegian to fly back to the UK because wow. I want to test the disruptor, you know. Well, good,
1: because then next episode, you can come in and give us your 15 minutes on this epic journey
0: <laughs> well, that you're about I to ser- undertake. I certainly hope I won't have either turbulences no. or delays, especially because I think in Cheon JFK, will be the longest flight I've ever taken. I'm not sure because I've done pretty long flights, but I think it might be the longest one. So oh, wow. I certainly hope that that one will be smooth because I, I don't want to 15 hours of turbulences. <laughs> no, So I, I hope you have a smooth journey. So enjoy Sardinia, the wines, and the food, and I'll see you in the next episode. All right, guys, take care. Safe travels. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.